everybody has suffered from colonization, whether you have two cars, two incomes, settlers, indigenous mm. people, we have all suffered from colonization. So it's really looking deeply uh, at what that harm was and mm. how we can move forward together. Each mm. and every one of us uh, mm. belong here on this land. And mm. that's what's uh, really tying us together is mm. the land. My name is Theo Finnegan and welcome to Conversations in the Arts and Humanities. I'm with uh, Joy Googler and Stephanie Johnson, who on Friday, March 12th from 10 till 11.30 a.m. will give a presentation titled Unsettling Fiction, Reconciling Novel Partnerships with Traditional Practices to Teach Indigenous Literature in the Classroom. Uh, this presentation will be streamed online via Zoom. Uh, Joy Googler works in the Creative Writing and Journalism Department at VIU, where she also publishes Portal Literary Magazine and the Ralph Gustafson Distinguished Poets Lecture Series. She has 25 years experience as an editor at a wide range of presses and magazines, and she's currently completing a PhD at Simon Fraser University in Communications and Publishing. Stephanie Johnson lives on the unceded territory of the Snunemoch Mustimoch in Nanaimo and is a board member of the Métis Nation of Canada. She is completing an MA in Interdisciplinary Studies at Royal Roads University, focusing on reconciliation and the decolonizing of public institutions. She's also a co-founder of Toro Marketing Incorporated, a management consulting firm, and she has 25 plus years of experience in organizational leadership and community engagement. Uh, working with Indigenous Knowledge Keepers and the Nanaimo Ladysmith Public School Board, Stephanie has developed a policy for truth and reconciliation called the Tsiutsus Framework. Uh, which she is working to implement across the district. Welcome to you both and thanks for joining me. How are you? Thank you, Theo. We're happy to be here. Could you begin by telling me a little bit about your scholarly and pedagogical collaboration? How did it come about initially and, and how has it developed over time? Sure. Uh, well, first and foremost, uh, I'm really grateful that we're here today with you, Theo. Um, Joy and I are very dear friends uh, and have been for a number of years. Uh, and I embarked on my educational journey about two years ago on that topic of decolonizing the um, public institution. And uh, I invited Joy to come along on that ride with me. As you know, in this online environment, uh, there's not a lot of chance to collaborate or talk about what you're learning along the way. Uh, so Joy, being uh, also a publisher and an editor, has been uh, very key to my educational success and uh, engaging in the topic of reconciliation and decolonization. Uh, she and I have sparked many conversations around our coffee cup uh, <laughs> on a Friday morning. Do you have anything to add, Joy? Yeah, well, I think it's been about 10 years that we've first started working together on the topic of literacy, and then uh, I had her on to a previous show on CHLY um, called Be the Media, where I did a Books and Bites segment, and I was talking to her about books and uh, literacy when she was involved in that. And then through the years, we've been in a book club together, and we've also just had many, many conversations as friends about how we'd like the world to change and to be part of that change. And I think her focus on Indigenous studies and uh, her work at Royal Roads just really 
um, has made my reconciliation journey that much clearer to me how how I need to continue to invest in that. And then, of course, we meet in the covers of a book often mm-hmm. where we've read the same book or we've thought about how would you teach that book and that's led to this topic. When you talk about decolonizing classroom structure um, and, and decolonizing pedagogy, what, what does that mean for someone who maybe hasn't heard of that, that term before? What, what would you say that means? Well, I think it's a conversation that we have that has big w- words and then you have to break them down into smaller words and personalize them. We all have our unique teaching styles and approaches. And I think we have lots of subconscious bias that we're not uh, necessarily aware of until we do further reading and really start with questioning how we approach any particular subject that we are not, uh, haven't grown up in ourselves and um, maybe that feels inauthentic to us, but we still need to teach it as part of the curriculum. So I think that personal reconciliation journey that Stephanie has helped me with Mm. is really about appreciating a totally different worldview that is in so many ways so much healthier for the planet we all share Mm. in terms of locating yourself on the land and the way in which we are relatives with all living beings on the planet, the planet itself, but also spiritual beings, how we are part of a circular uh, kind of endless time cycle and uh, the respect that has to come toward each other from that place. Um, learning about the people who have been here for thousands of years. I've only been in Nanaimo for 10. Mm. And so understanding uh, how I and always will be a newcomer in that sense. And my parents are Irish and German, so I'm coming from um, a white European background. Even though I'm well-traveled, I um, new to this place in those terms. So we're talking about things that recognize uh, protocols around how to invite Indigenous speakers, elders, and knowledge keepers into the classroom, how to um, set up an, even an introduction or invite them into a circle where they would begin to speak from their knowledge and experience and we are here to listen, mm-hmm. how we would uh, respectfully ask questions once they've finished speaking, how we can investigate the background of the authors so that we're not just saying their names, but we're saying the context in which they've created and where those stories may have come from using their own words as opposed to our interpretation. Mm. I would see some of those things as kind of decolonizing practices based on my you know, only initial reading. Stephanie has done much more reading about the um, whole sense of mm. of decolonizing our own ways of thinking, not just about literature, but about everything. And so I'll let mm. you talk about that. Mm. I, uh, I really appreciate you uh, speaking to that level in mm. the classroom. Uh, I know I'm not an educator, even though I work in education. Um, 
what really came to mind when you were speaking, Joy, is when we both read Eve Tuck and Wayne Yang's uh, seminal work, Decolonization is Not a Metaphor. Mm. Uh, we're always keeping ourselves in check uh, to ensure that it's not a platitude, that we really are engaged in, uh, in the deeper work, the deeper mm. work of unlearning. Mm. Uh, we have a strong belief that everybody has suffered from colonization, whether you have two cars, two incomes, you know, everybody, settlers, indigenous mm. people, we have all suffered from colonization. Mm. So it's really looking deeply uh, at what that harm was and mm. how we can move forward together. Each mm. and every one of us uh, mm. belong here on this land. And mm. that's what's uh, really tying us together is mm. the land. Mm. that we live upon. That sort of speaks to the, this idea of seeing things in a double way. I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but having two visions of things, which, um, you know, as Stephanie, you were talking a little bit before we, we started this interview about um, the settler culture often being able to have sort of one vision of things and, and the need to introduce a, a second way of seeing there on some level. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, mm. What you're referring to is Elder Marshall's Two-Eyed Seeing. Two-Eyed Seeing. Uh, Two-Eyed Seeing. And that mm. is seeing out uh, the gifts of my Western worldview and my Indigenous worldview mm. and coming together and sharing the power of both of those knowledge systems. Mm. Uh, I really think it's important to recognize our teachers. I've had many, many uh, beautiful teachings and teachers in this Coast Salish territory. And I really honor those teachings. And mm. one I'd like to share today is uh, from Auntie Joan Brown from Snanemo First Nation. She is the administrator for the nation, uh, a very profound teacher of mine. Mm. Uh, she applies a similar uh, principle to Elder Marshall's Two Eyed Seeing when she talks about paddling from both sides of the canoe. Mm. And we know in, in this beautiful territory that we live in, uh, the Salish canoe uh, system is a supernatural being. Mm. And when we have the power of our indigenous relatives and our settler relatives paddling together, that is the true strength of this mm. work that we're doing. Mm. You mentioned the urgency of, quote, holding space for and embracing these essential and truthful experiences of our shared nation's histories. And, and the thing I really like there is, is the, the term histories with the slash between heh and stories, obviously drawing attention to stories. I saw a tweet recently which talked about the power of fiction to address historical traumas and cultural resiliency. It was about the um, 1921 Tulsa massacre where in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where uh, uh, white people attacked and destroyed black businesses and killed uh, some black people and also injured hundreds. And um, there was recently a, a, a graphic novel TV adaptation called Watchmen, which is about superheroes. It's a sort of a fantasy, but it has historical elements too. And, and someone tweeted about how this, this sort of fantasy narrative, which has roots in history, was one of the ways in which this history came to be told, that, that that history had been ignored for decades. And so in other words, fiction can give us access to things maybe in a way that some other discourses, not that they can't, but that it can kind of supplement things. So I wonder if do you see fiction as having an important role in this sort of larger process of decolonizing the classroom? 
Absolutely. Yeah, I did my thesis work at SFU around how to reinvent the process of teaching English in the classroom. And one of the ways, the strategies that I wanted to propose was the thinking about the way that we choose what we want to read in our leisure lives. Mm. You know, from a bookstore or library or a shelf in our room, we pick up a particular book that we're drawn to. We sit down with it and we let it work its magic on us, right? We don't have it prescribed to us like mm. something over the counter and that's mm. good for us and that we need to sit down with pen in hand and immediately make the list of the top five characteristics of the protagonist on the first page. <laughs> we're letting the stories work on us wow. as uh, we're interpolated into them, right? So for me, I think literature's greatest power is the power of empathy. Uh, inducing our ability to be in someone else's shoes and to experience a world, their world, that is so different from our own and to recognize the pains that can come from not seeing that world as legitimate or valid or worthy of sympathy or pride or resurgence or any of the positive things that we can associate with characters too. So for, I have a, a whole section that's sort of tongue-in-cheek, like Swift's modest proposal that is the, the value of literature, mm. uh, the uses of literature, right? Mm. And um, I think, you know, we talk in, I, I teach in the media studies department as well, we talk a lot about remix and hybrid and, and uh, intertextuality and how stories are always speaking to each other. And the modern uh, Indigenous writers are also speaking to the stories that of their lands and places that were handed to them by elders and others in their community. Our stories from the settler world intersect with the stories of contact and colonization and all of the trauma of that time, but also mm. all of the incredible gifts of that time, right, that followed that and the communities that... Um, despite the many uh, things that have happened from residential schools to um, many of the modern day abuses and uh, racisms, there are also so many stories of um, coming together, this paddling on both sides of the canoe. So I think it's a safe and often subversive place. It looks innocent. It's just a little novel. Right. How much can it really get into trouble, but we know from those like censored lists that right, they can yeah. us into all kinds of trouble, right? Um, some really profound ideas can come from those pages of, of, of a made-up story. And yeah. so I, I think uh, they're one of the best places to live first while you're still exploring those things. I've been spending a significant amount of time with knowledge keepers of the land and hearing the origin stories of uh, Stenamus people, which is uh, in Ladysmith, what we call Ladysmith, um, and the power of the teachings of these stories that have been handed down since creation mm. that are still shared today and the teachings that go into these stories. It might take me my entire lifetime of hearing them before I see what I need to see. Uh, there's just so much wonder and resiliency in Indigenous stories and storytelling. Hi, my name's Theo and I teach in the English department at Vancouver Island University. You're listening to Conversations in the Arts and Humanities on CHLY 101.7 FM Nanaimo.
joy there's a maybe a natural flow between your project and this presentation and, and and publishing maybe but could you talk a little bit about how those worlds intersect yeah i have worked in publishing since the early 90s at first in-house at three or four different presses and then as a freelancer so of course one of the greatest thrills of being an editor is acquiring a manuscript that you think is new and fresh and the world needs to see and i did that for young adult literature as well as adult fiction um, at these presses and i kept thinking about how what we read as a, a younger person particularly in high school informs some of our adult tastes and the ways in which we're introduced to literature in the classroom makes our relationship with books one way or the other, often despite um, what our family life and how that is modeled. And I kept thinking that, um, you know, the, the literature at the time that I was interested in was feminist literature because I didn't see as much as I had hoped of uh, female writers. And I feel that there's a parallel now that we're not seeing writers of color, we're not seeing the BIPOC community represented in the canon and curricula as much as we know it should be representationally. And so as that's changing, it's not just sort of swapping out some books that used to be, you know, old white men for, um, for writers who are speaking from their cultures now. It's also coming to those titles with um, a sense of respect for the context in which they've been writing and how that is really about decolonizing on many levels, not just uh, with respect to Indigenous literatures, but um, the diaspora generally. So we um, are always looking for those new voices as publishers. And uh, I recently taught a book in my editing course called um, The Elements of Indigenous Style, and it's by um, Greg Youngying, who ran for many years one of the few Indigenous publishing houses in the Okanagan, and it was called Thetis, and it still continues as a very vibrant house publishing Indigenous writers. And he was talking about the respect needed to edit those stories and to understand the different ways in which that storytelling occurs compared to maybe more traditional Western models and the nature of conversation and changing other people's words and um, how you would need to have respects and protocols in place for that process as well. And, and uh, you know, of course, we've had so many conversations about appropriation and who has the right to tell those stories and who is credited with those stories. And even is it an individual or is it a spirit? you know is it is it a story that comes from a place and so the entire place is given copyright to that story what are some important starting places maybe if people are beginning that journey uh, that we're talking about today where where could they begin with with an author or a title maybe I, i'm going to begin because i love this topic i love that you uh, couched it as in you know what's a what's one way in and our Board of Education, when they began the journey of looking at that, we recognize we're all at different levels in this journey. Um, and one book that it really came to mind that is accessible, it's a good read, it's an easy read, is Speaking Our Truth. Um, and that is by Monique Graysmith. 
we love Monique Graysmith. She's a fabulous uh, Indigenous writer. And she also has a child's book that we uh, also teach in tandem called You Hold Me Up. And it's both wonderful books mm. that I highly recommend. We've created a website called trc57speakerseries.ca. I have a dozen uh, inc incredible Canadian thought leaders uh, speaking about TRC call to action number 57. And if we remember what 57 is, it's about all public servants understanding the true histories of Canada. Hmm. So uh, I have the creator uh, who articled and wrote UNDRIP, Dr. Sackage Henderson, um, our beloved Harold Johnson. So thank you all for taking time out of your lives to come and listen and talk about stories, how powerful stories are. I am story, you are story, the universe is story, and none of them are true. Canadian literary icon. Um, you know, we have the Honorable Jody Wilson-Raybould coming up, and one of our speakers will be in completely in French, uh, um, Dr. Sebastian Millet's Métis work. Uh, so I highly recommend you check out the website. We record all of the series, uh, and you can just engage at any time. The books are on sale uh, also on the website at a discount, a 20% discount. Fantastic. So that's, sorry, that's trc57speakerseries.ca. Rather than favorite book, I just want to, you know, throw some names out there that I think you'll recognize as Canadian authors of in, Indigenous authors who have many, many titles. And so then when you go to their websites or you Google them, you'll you'll be able to pick the book that you think is the best fit uh, for the story you're interested in at the moment. But um, there's so, so many, and even, you know, the current Canada Reads list has, uh, and past Canada Reads list is a good place to start with people mm -hmm. like Joshua Whitehead and Richard Van Camp and Richard Wagamies, of course, Drew Hayden Taylor, uh, Thomas King. Most people have become familiar with the Dead Dog Cafe on radio and so on, Thompson Highway, and terms of his plays. Um, Sherry Dimeline's Marrow Thieves got a lot of attention a couple of years ago, and uh, that's a trilogy. Uh, Warren Carew, Mary, Maria Campbell, of course, back at the, the beginning, Jeanette Armstrong. There's so, so many authors, dozens and dozens and dozens, and I think, you know, at one point we thought that we were teaching from scarcity, but we are teaching from abundance, and that is in part because publishers have woken up to the fact that there's this wealth of storytelling here that um, does build on the oral tradition, but is also unique to those authors' words on print. And um, it's a privilege to be able to see them on the shelves. And of course, they should also be on desks in the classrooms and in hands and in minds. And so I hope that, you know, in part our a very initial conversation about this that grows out of our own collaboration can also be an ongoing conversation and and the colloquium next week is really just the opening salvo for that. Thank you very much for taking the time to, to share your um, ideas and, and your stories with me today. I really appreciate it and I'm really looking forward to um, your presentation next week and continuing my own journey in, in this um, this area as well. So thank you very much. Thank you, Theo.
You've been listening to Conversations in the Arts and Humanities. Thanks to Joy Googler and Stephanie Johnson for joining me in conversation. Technical production by Robin Davies. Music by Greg Bush. The Colloquium series will be back in September 2021 with a new slate of presentations by scholars from the Faculty of Arts and Humanities. For more information, go to ah.viu.ca and click on Colloquium Series. My name's Theo Finnegan. Thanks for listening. Thank you.